0: Welcome to the LegalSoft Podcast. On today's episode, it's a numbers game. With law firms, numbers are very important. They tell us how good we're doing, or how good we could be doing. We're joined by Navid Rahimian. He is the CEO of Nav Capital Consulting, a firm that helps lawyers and law firms deal with their accounting needs on the back end. We're going to be chatting with him about why numbers are important, what lawyers can learn from numbers, and exactly how much money you can save. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We have new episodes every Tuesday and Friday, and we'd love to hear your feedback.
1: Hi, this is Hamid Kohan. Welcome back. I'm here with Nav Capital talking about the finances of a law firm, which is very important. Hi, this is Hamid Kohan. I'm president and CEO of Legosoft. I'm happy to have a great guest here today, Nav from Nav Capital. Who is going to be exploring the importance of the financials and accounting and understanding your numbers within your law practice. Welcome to Legal Soft Podcast.
0: Thanks for having me, Hamid. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on. I'm excited. Wonderful. So we will, uh, please give us a little bit of a background about your your
1: organizations, what you do, and especially more focus on what you do for the law firms, because I know you're working with a lot of the law firms and you help them structure do all the finances, accounting, understanding the numbers and so forth, and you're helping them to a scale and grow their practice, which it wasn't a big thing before, but it's a major thing now because with all the cost controls and understanding your cash flow and so forth, it either blocks them from expanding or it helps them expand. Sure, I'm happy to.
0: So I founded Nav Capital Consulting um, about six or seven years ago now, time flies. Yeah. Um, you know, prior to uh, you know starting the company, I spent about a decade at the big four accounting for one of the big four accounting firms. Served mostly Fortune 100 companies, mostly in the asset management space, and some uh, higher private private companies. And uh, you know, very quickly after you know years where kind of the growth for me subsided a little bit, I found the need that I kind of wanted to add value. Uh, to a di- uh, you know to a different set and really kind of the small and middle market space. Um, and I learned a ton of great things in like the big four. Uh, but what I what I wanted to do was take some of those things that these big companies are doing and help some of the middle middle market and small business uh, uh, space do, you know apply some of those things so they could scale and grow. And you know thankfully, in the last few years, I feel like it's been really, really, really good and most importantly really rewarding uh, to work with such incredible entrepreneurs and uh, you know look forward to uh, you know the next seven years and seeing where, where it goes and so kind of that's what we're about we're a full-blown accounting and finance firm dedicated to mostly service-based businesses um, and with a specific niche in the legal space right. and so
1: so when you come into a law practice either doesn't matter if it's a startup or established and so forth what is the first few things that you do to understand where they are with their finance and account. Because I'm sure you're gonna f- find a lot of
0: areas that are not properly set up or- I, I I would do is first ask for a set of financials. And it's, uh, believe it or not, I think the answer to that uh, really opens up a lot of, of worms in an organization for better or for worse. I think the priorities aren't there, especially if I'm, I'll give you an example. I just went through an onboarding call just yesterday And, you know, I asked for a set of financials and what I got was a set of financials, but it was outdated about, you know, 11 months. Right. And so I'm trying to sit here and figure out what's going on. And it seems to be that for the most part, unfortunately, most organizations are just preparing financials for the sake of filing a tax. Right. They're not sitting here and getting themselves updated on their figures, in my opinion, and the way we operate is on a monthly basis at the minimum. Um, so that they can you know, make certain decisions and be more forward-looking in their decision-making and utilizing concrete numbers to be there. So that's the first thing I ask, financials. Oftentimes, it leads to the conversation of, hey, let us help you get your financials in order and make sure you have proper bookkeeping in place.
1: Is the first biggest mistake that when I do the consulting part and I work with the law firm and so forth, I ask sort of the same thing. I ask for the org chart, so I'm find out who's here doing what, which is 99% they don't have one. They just right. say, these people here are the case managers and these people here are the paralegals and so forth. There's no work chart, And the second thing is finances because I cannot help them if I don't know where what's the money coming in, what's going out, and what's left over or anything right. like that. Right. So they refer me to exactly what you said. We have this invisible person somewhere that basically prepares our taxes, which is doesn't do me any good because I'm not paying the taxes. I have no control over it from last year anyway. And so basically they don't have it. Right. Which is makes my job is like ten times more difficult because I'm driving blind. I have no idea what the money is coming or going. Get somebody who does your real time financial planning and organizing and accounting, not from last year. Right. And that's where we usually start. And when I get some numbers, I get people like yourself who get engaged now. It takes them a little while to get the numbers together, and then I can advise them based on that. So I'm sure you go through that process. Usually, how long does it take from the onboarding call that you mentioned to be able to have the meaningful numbers that are real time? What's his typical process or time frame?
0: Yeah, it first depends on what's happened you know, in this example, we'll take this one example. It was 11 months since they've done a, you know, they've done a recon- proper reconciliation and uh, closed their books. And so, you know, we're looking at doing 11 months worth of bookkeeping. And depending on how big the organization, the number of transactions, you know, that could take. A, you know, uh, you know, it'll, we'd have to separate out and just strictly focus on this one client. And you know at the minimum, minimum spend 30, 40 hours to go there and just reconcile the transaction. Um, and then, you know, depending on where it's at, depending on the transactions, it could take longer. Uh, so it, it really depends. <laughs> I've had some horror stories where I've had to go back three, four years because for my law firms, uh, you know, uh, there are certain requirements that are needed to maintain records of of, of, of bookkeeping and it's five years you need to maintain five years of bookkeeping um, and so we've had exercises where we had to go back five years uh, those were fun and took quite a bit of time um, so it really depends but to your point I think really what's really important is from the onset building that foundation because the more you go beyond it and the more you not focus on it the harder it's going to be to go back and the more someone like myself, a CPA or another accountant is going to probably be very upset with you because they're going to have to go back and spend countless amount of time.
1: Right. What what drives me crazy now is that the the highest cause of attorneys losing their license or getting on probation and so forth is mismanaging the trust fund, the trust account, right? And the thing is easy, simple, and then they pass it on to somebody who doesn't know anything about this stuff and they are depositing the wrong check into the wrong account, they're drawing from the wrong account, and then they need to reverse it and all of that. And having known that that this can get them disbarred, they don't put enough value or resources into it to make sure this doesn't happen. They just think magically it happens.
0: Have you had any experience with For that? For any of our law firms, we have an onboarding process. And this process, first we acknowledge whether or not, because not all not all lawyers have a trust account that they, they don't necessarily need one in their operation, right? Most, you know, uh, you know, personal injury attorneys and other attorneys who are collecting funds on behalf of clients. Yeah.
1: Contingency fee client, Correct. contingency p- practices, employment, workers comp, uh, personal injury and those folks.
0: I mean, yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, to the extent there is an IOLTA account, like you said, there, there, there have been some bad actors in the space. Uh, without naming any names, but everyone knows the names. Um, but for better or for worse, they triggered in our, in, in our space a, a very, very heightened uh, oversight from our regulatory bodies. So they, to be more specific, I think the conclusion was there was a bad actor that embezzled about $15 million of trust funds that belonged to clients. And as a result, the California State Bar... Um, empowered a new task force called CTAP. And so basically they're responsible for essentially overseeing all the trust accounts for California's lawyers. And so things have changed. And um, since then, most lawyers, the only additional focus they may have seen is every February when they go in and they renew their bar, their license, they check the box on certain things, but they probably Mm -hmm. don't know what they're checking the box. Right. Um, and some of these things are those specific requirements you need to maintain as you're, as you're, um, holding a trust account. Right. You know, you have to maintain canceled checks along with a plethora of additional things in our process. We kind of have a onboarding onboarding process where we go through an internal checklist that we've built based on the bar and for your audience, whoever needs something, our checklist, we're happy to share it with them. Um, But we go through that checklist and we ensure that everything is on par. And if there's something missing, we work with the client to either internally develop it or help them develop it um, by our firm. Now,
1: on the next level of things, is the stuff that when we evaluate the law practice to see how we can help them grow and scale and so forth, when we're getting into the financials, especially contingency firms like employment or personal injury, the question is like, what's your cost of client acquisition? Mm-hmm. I haven't found one single law firm who was able to give me an answer. Mm-hmm. It's basically I say, what, how much you pay for your raw goods and they have no idea. Imagine in any other kind of a market, if the, they didn't know how much is the cost of goods, right. which is in this case is a cost of client acquisition.
0: Right.
1: And, and their guess is so wrong. You know, it's not even in the near numbers. You know, the cost of client acquisition, NPI in, in California is about $2,400, and they're guessing at $600. Yeah. It's so off. Right. So that's one of the first things that I trigger it to get some financial help, get some accountant, somebody to figure this out. You spend this much money, and you get this many cases. So what's your cost of client acquisition? So these are some of the places where I always refer the firms to you guys to say figure out what they're expending. I said, what's your cost of labor? What's your cost of overhead? What's your division of the cost of the labor per case? Because they know the case comes in, it takes a year to handle it, and the three people were involved in it, they can pretty much, like what you do, is figure out what is the average cost of the resources distributed to the number of cases. And they don't know any of these numbers. They don't even know the advertising budget. Sometimes they ask him, says, I think we spend, I don't know, $20,000, 40000 a month. You know, just like asking you what's your car payment. You say, I don't know, between six hundred to 2000 Well, you wouldn't give me that answer. You would know exactly I'm paying $645 a month for my lease. But they don't know how much they're paying for all these advertisements and all these marketing fees.
0: Right. And, and in my mind, I mean, this is across the board, so I see that all the time. And, you know, we, we help organizations build out those KPIs and just for your reference, those KPIs to the extent relevant to each organization, we have them on our management reports and we deliver them to our clients and they're they're always very familiar with what they're um what they're certainly like the handful of KPIs you mentioned, you know, we can build out, show that. But it really all comes down to first having that foundation. Right. And if you don't have that foundation, there's just it's very difficult to even get those figures that you're looking for, and by the foundation is just a basic set of financials, right? Um, unfortunately, our our industry lacks the um, financial expertise to even interpret a set of financials, believe it or not. Huh. Um, our office spends countless amount of hours building them, and I'm pretty confident that a lot of the times, most of the time. Uh, these, these reports aren't even, even being overlooked as much with the owners. The benefit of that is they rely on our office to do some of that analysis and help them with that, and that's fine. But at the minimum, you know, what I'd love to accomplish, if, any, if not anything else in this podcast, is maybe we can, you know, we can empower some of our lawyers to really understand how a, financial, how a set of financial statements are read because uh it, you know it really goes down to that you know building that foundation and then you know in terms of the nitty gritty the sub ledgers you want to build out for cost of uh, client acquisition or anything is just a su- subset of a handful of those line items right so uh, that- i'm
1: glad you mentioned that because what happens is that again when with this practices when they get the financials they get the pnl and they get the ledgers and all this stuff they just take it and sort of put it away, or say, okay, my taxes are being done. Nobody goes over it with them, and points out things and says, did you know your advertising cost has gone up 46% or your labor cost has gone up in 2x? Right. So they don't go over it and review it so they can get some action plan out of it. You know, The whole reporting of the financials is one to understand what you've done, then get some ideas how to reduce costs or increase profitability. But if you don't go over line by line, it just becomes a piece of paper like, you know, somebody just mailed it to you and you're just like, okay, well, I don't know what it means. And they need to understand that we need to go through it. It's just like almost somebody give them a litigation case that they never opened the folder. How are you gonna go to court with a case that you didn't even open? Right. Right? So the financials, when you're handing it to them, you gotta say, okay, let's sit down, set up some time so I can explain what's going on in your financials. And I'm sure that's a rare occasion (laughs) that actually somebody's asking you. I know you're enforcing it, but them actually being, requesting it, yeah, (laughs) not happening. Yeah,
0: try to help the client. We understand lawyers are freaking busy. I mean, so, you know, they're busy doing their craft and just every entrepreneur, it's really usually, unfortunately, the last priority for them uh, to review their numbers and, you know, help them make best decisions. But, you know, oftentimes those best decisions, you know, are made while acknowledging the figures under there. And so uh, you're, you're absolutely right. I see it all the time. What we try to do to help and continue to educate, we have monthly meetings uh, that we, you know, hold in place. And then in addition to the extent whenever we send out our monthly deliverables, when we see those outliers, we'll point them out hey, you had a 46% in- increase in your marketing budget. Are you sure you're on top of things? Is everything going well? What's the ROI on this additional spend? You know, we'll, we'll ask these questions leading to an additional dialogue. And ultimately, you know, we arrive at, you know, where the appropriate tra- trajectory should be for the business. And so
1: all that's there. But yeah,
0: you know, I think for the most part, again, build out that foundation is my perspective. And then you know, utilize these, learn how to utilize these figures to make these very critical decisions.
1: I always tell them, I said, that when you get into this evaluations that I do, I said, practice tune-ups and so forth that we do at Legosoft. When we look at the numbers, it's a completely different thing than the managing attorney or owner tells us about it. And now that is the practicing of law becoming a smaller portion of actually having a law firm, because a lot of it has to be in a business but how can you run a business that you don't know the finances of right. and now it's getting more and more important to be able to have a very tight control over your finances and you in that business to make money but if you don't know your numbers how you expect to sort of the money happens right because you don't have control over expenses over the cost over the recovered uh, fees or anything like that, one of the big things comes into the picture is not a lot of firms referring cases to each other, right? So they have referral arrangements, referral fees and so forth. Um, They have no calculation of it, no tracking of it because it's a revenue source. So I'm doing five million through my own firm and I'm doing a two million, million and a half through referral fees that I'm receiving and another half a million that I'm actually paying out is a business. So, again, not a single one been able to answer any of my questions. And says, how much a year do you get in referral fees? I have no idea. Or how much are you paying out in referral fees? I have no idea. And they can't even point me to somebody who knows. (laughs) You know, sometimes you don't know. You send it to your marketing person and they have the answer. Or you send it to your finance accounting person. But they haven't set up the foundation, like you said, categorizing that this is outbound referral, this is inbound referral fees, so they offset each other and this is what my net income is from referrals. Um, They haven't paid any attention to it. So that's always been another weakness when
0: I'm dealing with the law firm's financials. I hear you loud and clear. I think, um, you know, again, goes back to the foundation (laughs) and that we can't enforce it enough, making sure you have it and then you know, being able to make some tweaks, you know, to the solution there, you know, for my clients to the extent that, you know, if someone like yourself wants to come in and help consult with, uh, with, uh, with one of my clients, you know, to the extent we don't have a disaggregation between revenue coming from, you know, different sources, with a click of a button, we can utilize your software, implement that disaggregation, and you have exactly where everything is going. So again, once the foundation is there. There are so many things that could, help, that could be done, manipulated, so that you can make those really sound decisions. Because it sounds like, you know, we're, where we're going right now in this space is things are ever-changing, right? Yeah. It seems like, for the most part, like you said, a lot of folks are referring cases. And maybe, for the most part, a lot of folks are, you know, entrepreneurs are saying, you know, it may not be worth it for me to go in and take on this case because of my overhead associated with this case. It may or may not it really depends on the organization and how it's structured and how that is right and so you know once you have those numbers you could see the proof in the pudding you can make that decision is hey um you know joe schmo if you're gonna end up giving me 40 percent for this i'd rather not do this in-house and end up making probably less money anyway these are all very important business decisions and you know with successful business it's more than just the money it's the time right right they're making that decision and with the, with the figures in front of them, they could easily make that decision and say to themselves, hey, not only will I make more money, but I'll have more time to do things that are more meaningful.
1: Yeah, At one time, I had an opportunity to do a f- complete financial evaluation of a firm with 3,000 cases that has been settled. And I did a whole p analysis with the help of a- accounting and so forth. And we came to conclusion that the profitability of the firm on pre-litigation of these 3,000 cases was about 24% net profits, okay? okay. And, but the owner thought it making like 60% or something, wow. but the actual was like 24. Okay. Uh, and as soon as we saw that, and we evaluated and approved the concept, the firm completely changed from operating to refer out because they're getting 40 50% refer out without doing anything. So say, if I'm doing all of this work with all of this headache and I'm making 24%, I'm just going to give it to John and get 40%. That makes
0: sense. He's so, doubling his margin and he's not doing anything.
1: Anything. Exactly. Yeah. So the, the, that's why there's a huge trend in the industry about referring out because The profits are not where it used to be, especially when they don't have those big wins of seven, eight-figure cases coming in as easily as they used to, and they have to deal with a lot of low-value cases, and they don't understand the cost of labor has gone up, triple. That's why our business of providing virtual staffing has gone through the roof, because the labor costs gone through the roof. Not only you can't find them, when you find them, it's very expensive, and it's hard to keep. So that's what the virtual staffing has gone really well for us because we're replacing that
0: totally. And I mean, I've seen that in, within my clients, and so I've already seen the benefits of that. So uh, it's it's definitely you know to anybody who's not using virtual staffing, I think they're at a, are automatically at a disadvantage, you know, especially if they're looking to improve their margins. Have
1: you set up any kind of a training system, a training curriculum for folks who are interested, like the attorneys who basically they started out recently or started out a few years ago, but they don't have the foundation that you're always talking about mm-hmm. and the structure and the applications and so forth. Is there anything that you can offer them to get them started? Because I'm sure a lot of people watching this thing, they don't have that foundation you're talking about. Uh-huh. And even they might think they have, but they really don't. Okay. <laughs> you know, Not like what you're
0: describing it to be. So how do they get it started? So uh, as I was saying, in, in terms of training, our subscription offers that kind of learning, right? Because it's a continuous dialogue between our office and the you know business owner or the person managing the finances of the of the law firm. And so you know by the time you have a few months in within with us, you're pretty well versed in what's happening and what needs to happen and what we're doing and. Um, kind of that stuff. I don't know if that answers your question, but so the like turnkey solution
1: for the law firm finances and accounting, right? So they learn how to. You set it up for them. You teach them how to review the report, make you know create feedbacks to it, and teach them how to scale and grow using the financials.
0: Correct. What what numbers they should be looking after? You know, we give certain commentary utilizing benchmarks that we see in similar organizations that they may that may be an outlier that they may want to focus deeper on you know there is no and i'll tell you thankfully we've had such successful practices you know some not as successful we've seen it all but i don't think there is any organization that's perfect there's always work to be done and that's the beauty of business you go to work you wake up every day and like what can i improve there's no perfect business and You know, and uh, you could see some of that in the numbers. You know, you could see an organization killing it in the, you know, gross attorney's fees. But in terms of their margin could be next to nothing relative to another organization that could have an average attorney fee figure. But their margins are incredible. So there's just so many different things that, that could happen that could be happening that the numbers reveal within an organization. And so we try to for our subscription for our clients educate them and helping them help them understand. And, you know, we're doing some of the analysis, obviously they're relying on us. Um, but the reality is there's no one better than the business owner to uh, to acknowledge certain things cuz they're the ones that are in, in the nitty gritty. Yeah. At the end of the day, we get the numbers, we reconcile the numbers, we assess the numbers, but you know, unfortunately I'm not the business owner. And uh, as there are certain things that I can't, you know, the intangibles that I can't probably foresee that maybe, may or may not make sense with the figures. And so it's always a good, it, an important dialogue between our organization and them. Right.
1: And I want to also clarify one more thing, because we do help and we do set up law firms from scratch. And the typical issue we find with people starting up the law firms, like you mentioned, not the foundation, they postpone these kind of decisions. Like... I don't need the case management software because I don't have that many cases. I don't need an accountant and a finance person because it's not that many transactions. I don't need social media because, you know, they delay all of this stuff. which should have been done right from the beginning so the foundation grows with the practice and they keep deferring it out. It's like, uh, no, I don't need somebody to do my intake. I don't need somebody to do my accounting. And then they find themselves in the hole which is now is so difficult to catch up and clean up and go back and set up all these foundations from accounting to the simple case management software that they don't want to buy because it's $75 a month fee for users fee, right? And they say, wait, later, later. And it comes and bites them really hard.
0: Really hard. Um, and one thing that you know your audience may or may not know is that you know that foundation is important from the onset if you have your own business if you've decided that you're going to launch your own business you need to have this service and I'll say it from the beginning from the beginning Um, and the reason being is you may actually be in a position and I'll give you one of the biggest secrets of my industry having one of the biggest secrets of our industry is my recommendation for anybody who wants who wants to improve their processes is to have a CPA who is well-versed in, in the tax code um, have oversight in your bookkeeping, ideally the same person. Why? Because whenever me, as someone who knows the tax code very well, I'm reviewing your books as part of your my management analysis, mm-hmm. indirectly I'm already thinking about what can I do to help this person save money on taxes. So when I'm looking at the monthly deliverable, you're also getting tax planning out of it right because then i'm i'm able to see what's happening and be forward looking and with taxes you have to be forward looking i i can't tell you the amount of times the year ends right and then a few months after client potential clients call me they say "Nav, i had an incredible year thank god i need help i don't want to pay too much in taxes well i'm saying hey man you're kind of sol because the year ended and we can't do anything anymore um, there are a handful of things we could still do, but the ammo that we have to utilize a tax code to right. be forward-looking within the taxable year is you know, bar none compared to what we can do you know, after the year ends and we close the books. Right. So another reason why when, when someone is thinking, oh, maybe it's too expensive for me, well, you may, be spend, you may be saving a ton of money having a guy a CPA on your side to be overlooking your books on a monthly basis, helping you make those decisions before the close of year um, and helping you save a ton of money in taxes and reinvesting in your business and you know, getting you at an ultimate better place and ultimately save you money. Right. So it, for me, it's you know a no-brainer, foundation. You ha- you, you're an entrepreneur, you're starting your business, make sure you have your accounting affairs right. in order and you have someone overseas.
1: And that. it's funny how they uh, consider the cost of it and they say, "Look, I'm paying this guy's two, three thousand dollars a month," mm-hmm. and they look at it like that is expense of two, two thousand, a thousand, whatever that number is. But they don't realize that how much they were able to save. They don't calculate. They say, "I paid twenty thousand in the year," but this guy actually helped me save quarter million dollar. They don't relate it like that. They think this is an expense, but they forget about the outcome, right. which is two decisions or two directions you gave them actually saved them a quarter million dollar. But they look at the expense, which is very foolish. And this is sort of the funnest part of the year for me when it comes toward the end of the year, the last two weeks of the year. Even though I'm not a CPA, I'm not a financial advisor, nothing like that, from the, peop- from the firms that I have a closer relationship with, they come and say, I me, this is terrible. I have $2 million in my account I need to get rid of. Okay, well, give it to me. You know, if you want to you totally want to get rid of it, just give it to me. <laughs> but it's like I cannot afford to pay taxes on this two million that uh, we made. We had this huge settlements that came in like three or four months ago by just sitting in account. Well, we only got two weeks. Your case was, was already past the year, which is terrible. But these guys in the last two weeks, and I, I, I do my thing with them. But it is sort of funny to me that it's the last two weeks, I basically like last year. I had to help people get rid of like 10, 15 million dollars in the last two weeks of it. And I just paid them like to so invest here, pay there. I, but again, I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not a CPA, but I was just more of like a mentor or something, was trying to help them out. But it's funny how they wait till the end or even after the fact and say, shoot, the year is ended. Now I have my tax liabilities going through the roof. Uh, but it's uh, because they've never been trained or structured. You know, when somebody goes to law school, this is what I titled my my book, How to Scale Your Stupid Law Firm, because I have two kids in law school, so I know how it is like. They don't train them on anything, you know, anything that is related to the business, like the accounting, the finance, the HR, the technology, the marketing, you know, infrastructure, none of the stuff. They teach them at the best law. And the law they teach them is federal law anyway. Then they come to the state and try to learn state law just to pass the bar. Right. So when they go and work in some other law firm, they never get exposed to any business part of it because the firms don't like that. Right. I hired you as an attorney, here's a bunch of cases, go work them. Right. So they don't, they don't get that training either. Then they go start up their own firm not knowing anything about the business side, the finance, the marketing, the infrastructure, IT. They don't know how to set up their email, you know. so. It's always been a challenge like that, but they need resources like your firm to be
0: able to at least get their financials in order. Right. No, absolutely. I think it even goes beyond law school. I think curriculum overall in the States, I I still don't understand how there are no financial literacy requirements even in high school. Right. They can't balance the checkbook. So I think, you know, I think by the time they go to law school, they should even have a baseline of that because they're now professionals, right? You, You know, so...
1: And your service is honestly not expensive, so the value is definitely there, but they've just never been taught to
0: value it properly. You know, I think part of it is is our own industry's fault. Um, you know most most accountants um, have been marketing themselves as tax preparers right. and they don't you know you know tax preparation is has become and and for a long time it's just a commodity right. You hire someone, you give them the numbers, they'll file a paper, they'll file a return for you. So that service may not be as costly, um, you know? And so when people are coming and trying to get a more proactive service, getting tax planning, getting financial management, all, you know, our fractional CFO service is an example. They're comparing that to someone who they're used to maybe just giving some numbers to and then them filing a form for that. And so when you're comparing that it's really not apples to apples and you know they get a little bit of sticker shock and then they you know take a step back and it isn't until they really realize and they, they get to the point like okay well this is becoming very meaningful or they get hit with a high six-figure tax burden they're like okay i need to i need to do something yeah, i need
1: it no i need advice yeah. so now it was great to have you here so could you tell our audience how to find you where to find you and Offering them your services?
0: Yeah, first off, I'd like to invite you uh, to my podcast. We have a podcast as well called Overtime with Nav. I'd love for you to join. Wonderful,
1: we'd love to.
0: uh, Yeah, we're on major channels on YouTube for our audience wants to, you know, attend. I'd I'd love to have you on. And, you know, I I speak a lot about accounting and finance and, you know, just have a little fun on it too. Um, You could reach me at my email, nav at navcapitalconsulting.com. Uh, and our website, navcapitalconsulting.com, and uh, um, maybe through you, H- Hamijan, I mean, you, you and I uh, share a, a breadth of great clients and such, and look forward to continuing and collaborating together and, and serving a, the, you know, legal industry.
1: Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you for joining us again.